You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. This series, I do a preaching calendar every year. I know some people don't agree with preaching calendars, and that's all right. I don't fall out with people. But I typically take the time to sit down and say, God, where are you taking our church? How do I speak into that? What do you want me to talk to our people about? And uh, last fall, in prayer, I felt like the Lord said, I should talk to you about this topic for a few weeks. And so... This is week two of our series entitled, I Want What God Wants. Last week, we talked about Naaman, who was a leper, needed to be healed, and was sent to the prophet Elisha, who told him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And we talked about the resistance that we have toward God when He asks us to do something that we don't want to do. And the tension that we feel as believers when we're trying to decide if we can trust God that He always wants what's best for us. And we came back to this principle. We ended with this principle that God does in fact want what is best you and me that was last week and if you didn't get to hear that you can go back on our podcast or you can go back to our videos and you can can pick that up and you can can watch that again this morning we're going to talk about deciding about choosing so I want you to bow your heads we're going to have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into this father I want to thank you for what you're about to do in this room today There is a sense of expectancy. has been all week in my heart that you want to do something so very powerful in this house. And it may not be for everybody. It may just be for one person. It may be for somebody watching me right now, somebody listening to me well after this service is over. But there is something that you are doing today that is so very, very powerful. So would you help me to speak what you have put into my heart in study and preparation? And would you help the person that is listening to me today, whether sitting here or watching online or listening to a podcast, would you, would you give them that anointing that helps them to hear everything that you say? Not what I say, but what you say to them today. Father, we give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your right hand and place it over your heart. Take your left hand and kind of extend it to the Lord like this and repeat these words after me. God, I want what you want. Say it again. God, I want what you want. You know, after church yesterday, last week, someone said to me, I don't know that I can pray that prayer. I said, that's all right. It's okay went on to talk about some of the things that 
God wants that caused pain. And so it led me to think about that in the opening here to begin with, let's, let's get at a really, really hard question. What do you do when what God wants seems to be nearly impossible? What are you supposed to do when you, when you believe that what God actually wants seems to be impossible? God wants me to forgive someone who hurt me very deeply. God wants me to change my career. God wants me to admit a secret sin. God wants me to lead a life group. God wants me to become a faithful giver and tither. God wants me to break up with the girlfriend or boyfriend that I've been with for years. God wants me not to quit on my marriage so he can heal it. God wants me to share my faith openly with my friends. Seems impossible sometimes. And it's easy to assume that when it feels impossible, that obedience is in fact probably voluntary, right? That if you don't want to, you don't have to. God says, do it my way. God says, go this way. And you say, I don't want to do that. And it's like, okay, that's fine. No. Obedience is never voluntary with God. It's always His way. And that is the only way. And it makes it difficult sometimes. In the moments before I came down this morning, I was just having a quiet moment of prayerful reflection. And I asked myself this question. Do I really want what God wants? Or does that just sound good when it comes out of my mouth? Does it just make me feel good that it's so pious and so devout for me to say to you, I want what God wants. How easy those words come out. But do I really want what God wants? Do I really want what God wants if it makes my life harder. I mean, because I think most of us live with the assumption that when God gets involved, it's supposed to be easier, right? Life is supposed to get easier. I, I, I worry sometimes that people think, you know, all I got to do is pray a sinner's prayer and my life's going to really get easier. No, it's going to actually get harder. The Bible said that narrow is the way to salvation. Broad is the gate to destruction. Many go in that way. The person who makes the choice to follow Jesus has chosen a difficult thing. Do I, do I really want what God wants even if it makes my life harder? And I think the thing that I want you to take away this morning is that obedience is always a difficult thing choice if you're going to obey God if you're going to do what God wants for your life you're going to have to make some hard choices theology is in fact the study of God it's what the word means the study of God 
down through the years, there have been a collection of theologies that have developed from which man has sought to know and understand who God is. These theologies have developed in a way that basically caused all the churches and religious organizations that we know to come to pass. And I, don't, I won't take the time to go through all of them, but I just wanted to lift up a couple to you. The Christian faith that you and I adhere to is primarily based on a Wesleyan holiness theology. A tradition that says basically that the moment a person believes, then that individual is saved. And by believing, we receive that inward witness that we have been delivered from sin unto freedom from sin and eternal life. In other words, we call that salvation by faith. There's another very popular tradition out there. It's called Calvinism. Or you may have heard the word Reformed Theology. Named after the great John Calvin. It emphasizes the role that God plays in the process of salvation. Calvin theorized that believers were in fact predestined to salvation. In other words, he believed that before God ever created the world, he chose the people that would be the beneficiaries of the gift of salvation. And that no matter what a person does in their life, they will go to heaven or hell based on that determination. There's a third that is rather popular in the world. It's called the theology of Arminism. Arminianism, excuse me, thank you. It's a theology that holds that our salvation is based on God's foreknowledge of those who believe in Him. In other words, God chooses those who choose Him. It's a theology that in some ways rejects the absolute sovereignty of God and says that salvation is somewhat in the hands of human beings. Now these three basically dominate the religious landscape out there. Depending on what church you go to, you fall into one of these three. Now there are a few others, but that's basically the biggest three. What they all have in common though is this. You choose. You choose to obey, you choose to disobey. You choose to believe, you don't choose to believe. And that's the essence of our experience as a human being that we have to choose. We have to decide. It's the choice, it's our choice to make whether we will serve the Lord or not. It's our choice to make whether we will obey or disobey God, whether we will serve Him or not serve Him. Look at your neighbor and look them in the eye and say, it's your choice to make. Now the reason, the reason that I make this point is that I want you to understand that the, that the lesson today is that everyone of the choices and decisions that you make in life have consequence. If there was one common theme that I tried to teach my two sons, it's this. You get to choose, but every decision has a consequence. 
Sometimes it's a good consequence. And sometimes it's a bad one. But it's nobody's fault if it's a bad one except you. Because you chose it. You made that decision. And I want to lift up to you this morning a character in the Bible that I think so exemplifies this. His name is Saul, and he was Israel's first king. Now, before we go into his life, I want you to understand God never intended for Israel to have a king. He did not want them to have a king, but they wanted to be like the nations of the world. And they said, we want to have a king. And God said to the prophet, okay, go ahead and anoint them a king. They've rejected me. I'm going to be their king, but they don't want me for their king. So go ahead and anoint them a king. And so we're going to read this morning out of the book of 1 Samuel. And I want you to notice something about this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 18 through 21. It'll be on the screen, but you can also read it in your Bible. And if you have a Bible, I would love for you to keep your Bible open. I'm going to walk you through some passages that I think will be helpful to you. But here's what I want you to notice as we start reading about Saul. Two things that stand out to me that are very powerful. That when Saul is first introduced to us in 1 Samuel chapter 9, he has a sincere humility. He is a man who is sincerely humble about who he is. And secondly, there is a great anointing that is placed on his life. He's sincerely humble and he's genuinely anointed. And in chapter 9, he and a compa some companions are walking trying to find some donkeys that have slipped away from his father's farm. They've had no success, so they decide that they will seek out the prophet and ask the prophet for help where these donkeys are. What they don't realize is that that's the day that God had told the prophet, you're going to meet the man that I've chosen to be Israel's king. And you will anoint him, and he will be the king over my people. Look at verse 18, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, Can you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together, and in the morning... I will tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. Don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have now been found. And I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hope. Samuel replied, but I am only from the tribe of Benjamin the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? So that's the beginning. That's where we meet him. So humble. When, when the prophet says, listen, the hopes of the whole country are on you and your family. He's like, really? I'm a nobody. I'm the guy at the end of the line. My tribe is the smallest tribe and I'm the smallest of all the people in my whole tribe. Our family's the, the last one. 
He's humble. He doesn't presume anything. But then just move forward 40 years in his life and come to 1 Samuel chapter 31. It'll be on the screen. This is the end of Samuel of Saul's life. Now the Philistines attacked Israel and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Mekishua. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, Take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king. So Saul, his three sons, and his armor bearer and his troops all died together that same day. Same man. Started out humble, unassuming, and anointed. And ended up killing him, his own self. Such a drastic change when you look at the 40 years of his life that Saul went from being a humble, unassuming, anointed king to be. To being an anxious, jealous, disobedient, arrogant, and shameful man. How does it happen? How does a man lose his way? How does a person get in the wrong lane of life? The choices that you make. The decisions that you make about the things that you do with your life. And if you read the story, and I'm going to show it to you, you see that what happened to Saul is that somewhere along the way he started making choices that began to put him in opposition to God. And that's where some of you are this morning. That's where some of you are in your family. That's where you, some of you are with your children. Choices that were made years ago, decisions that you made that have put you in a very awkward and difficult situation, but they are the consequence of decisions that somebody made. You would get to choose. It brings us back to this whole theme of obedience. Who will you obey? Who will you serve? Who gets your faithful obedience? Is it your desires, your wishes, your hopes, your dreams, or is it the ones that God has? I want what God want. God wants. Two things I want to tell you and then we'll be done. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about King Saul. He got in trouble because he forgot who he was. When he first started, the prophet said, I'm here to tell you that all you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. And Saul said, I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. My family's the least important. I'm the guy at the back of the line. What is significant is that he failed to appreciate that even though he didn't have a great lineage in his own eye, God still chose him to be the king. There's another story in the Bible you need to know. It's the story of when David was chosen to be king. After Saul disobeys God, God says, I'm done with you. And he went to pick somebody else. 
and he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. Jesse had seven, son, seven sons. And he told, told Jesse, he said, I'm here to anoint one of your sons to be the king over Israel. So what does Jesse do? He goes out and gets the six oldest sons. And he brings them in and he stands them in front from oldest to youngest, assuming that one of these boys here has to be the next king. Now sometimes when you read story, stuff in the Bible, it'll tickle the fire out of you. Because Samuel walks up to the first boy and he's so good looking and he's so sharp, you know, I mean, he's just absolutely incredible. And Samuel said, this must be him. God said, the Lord has not chosen this. Whatever this is, God didn't choose it. And he told Samuel, he said, listen, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The people that the world would choose are not necessarily the ones that God would choose. The people that you and I might choose are not necessarily the ones that God would choose. You know how David became the king? They got through all six of those boys and the Lord said, not of one of these. God has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, do you have any other sons? He said, well, yeah, I've got the youngest boy. He's out there watching the sheep. He said, go get him. You know, because God knew where David was. You see, his father didn't have any appreciation for David at that point. He didn't necessarily see him the same way that God did. But God knew where David was. And when God needed a king, he knew how to pick the king. He said, bring the boy in that's out there taking care of the sheep. He's the one that I've chosen. And when David walked in, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, this is the one that you are to anoint. My point is this, God knows where you are. You don't have to promote yourself. You don't have to push yourself. You don't have to make it happen for you. If you will surrender yourself to God and have an attitude of obedience and submission to God, when the time comes, God will find you. God will elevate you. God will raise you up. He will make you what he needs you to be. Some of you sitting here think that God forgot all about you. You thought that God doesn't know where you are. He doesn't know what you're going on, but you're not right. He sees you and he understands and he knows. And if God has placed something on your heart, if God has touched you with a burden and a passion for something for the kingdom, don't despair if it doesn't happen right now because if you submit yourself to God, he will bring it to pass. Some of you students are sitting here, young adults are sitting here, and you're trying to make sense of all of this. And I'm just telling you, in these weeks, my heart is leaning toward that generation that lives in a world that does no, no longer respects God the way it once did. And the pressure that you feel to give in to the norms of this world. But can I just tell somebody today, don't do what the world is asking you to do. Do what God says that you can do. I wish I had time to just unpack it a little more and tell you that like Joseph, you can make a decision that you will not do what the world says. Potiphar's wife said, I want you to sleep with me. I want you to sleep with me and if you do, you're gonna, you're gonna be fine. You'll be all right. You're in a foreign country. Nobody knows. God would know. 
God would know. And Joseph decided he wouldn't do that. She lied. He went to jail. Somebody would say, well, Joseph made a bad decision. No, he made the right decision. If you give in to this world, and I'll say more about this next week, but if you give in to this world and you let this world squeeze you into its mold, you may never get to what God has promised you. You may never get to the promises of God. If you make the wrong choice, there's some of you here that want to be married. You've not found a mate yet, and you feel that pressure. You feel that pressure to compromise and do something else. And the enemy is saying, this is the way you should go. You have to fight against that. And you have to say, I want what God wants. I want what God wants for my life. And I'm willing to wait until God brings it to pass. I feel the presence of the Lord this morning. Saul forgot who he was. You know, you've got to be careful that you don't listen to what all the people say about you. Your mama tells you you're the greatest son she ever had. Probably not. You know, there's a guy here in our church. I love him so much, and I'm not saying this. I hope he doesn't get embarrassed by what I say. But he's always telling me, you know, you're the best pastor I've ever had. No, I'm probably not. I'm just one of the pastors that you've had, and you like me. I'm just a guy just like you. I'm just somebody like you, and just because I stand on this stage doesn't mean I'm better than you. It doesn't mean I'm smarter than you. It doesn't mean I'm holier than you. It doesn't mean that God loves me more. This is just what God wants for my life. This is what God has called me to be. Just like what God has called you to do and be with your life. Don't get caught up in what people say. I remember I was in Frankfort, Kentucky one time and I preached and we had a great service and after church was over, this woman said to me, that's the greatest message I've ever heard in my life. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's a good message. It was good tonight. You get caught up in that sometimes and you start thinking, you know what, I'm really somebody. Is anybody listening to me? And you know what happens then? You start thinking you got there without God. Come on, somebody. You start thinking you did this on your own because you're so smart, you're so slick, you're so articulate that somehow or another you're the one that made yourself, but you're not. You were nothing when God found you. You were nothing when God saved you. And the moment that you forget that, the moment that you start thinking it's about me, God says, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. You see people rise and fall sometimes. It's because they develop an attitude of arrogance, a spiritual arrogance that says, I don't need God anymore. I got to this far and I can carry it on. And God says, okay, help yourself. I stand here. Goodness, I feel the Lord this morning. I stand here in fear and trembling telling you I know I'm accountable to God, but I'm just a man. I'm just a man that needs the Lord every day of my life. If God takes his hand off of me, I go back to zero. Saul forgot who he was. He forgot that I need him every day. I need the Lord in my life every day. I've got to have him. I was talking with someone right before church 
And we were talking about the fact that every day of my life, I have to lay my anxieties, lay my fears, and lay my struggles before the Lord because he's the only one who can help me. We're not self-made. We're here because of him. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Not only did Saul forget who he was, he forgot who God was. He forgot who God was. I want to show you two bumps in the road in Samuel, in Saul's life. If you have your Bibles open, open them up to chapter 10, verse 8. It'll be on the screen, I believe. The prophet Samuel says to Saul, in verse 8, Go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. But you must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. What was the command of the Lord to the prophet to Saul? Go to Gilgal, wait seven days, and I'm coming. What happened was Saul couldn't wait seven days. Look at chapter 13, beginning with verse 7. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal. His men were trembling with fear. Saul waited for seven days for Samuel as Samuel instructed, but Samuel did not come. Saul realized his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. Now, here's the point. We can split hairs about a lot of things. But Saul was told by God's prophet, wait seven days, I'm coming. I will burn the offerings and the peace offerings and give you the instructions of the Lord. Look what it said. Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Now, he's anointed to be king, but he's not anointed to sacrifice. He took that on himself. Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcomed him. And Samuel said, what is this that you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you did not arrive when you said you would. The Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't asked the Lord for help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself. How foolish you are, Samuel explained. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, God would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought after, um, out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. What was Saul's, what was his problem? He panicked in the moment and decided that his wisdom was greater than God's word that he was smart enough that he could do it without God's help. And he disregarded the command of the Lord to wait. And because of that, God said through the prophet, your time was up. It will come to an end. Here's the second bump in the road in 1 Samuel 15. 
beginning with verse 2. This is what the Lord of, of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle the accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and utterly destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. That's what God said. Remember, when the, if, you, if you know the story, when, they were, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, the Amalekites fought them and, and, and labored against them. And God told through Moses, I, I will get back at you. I will get vengeance for what you've done to my people. And now God's telling Saul, you go and take revenge on them for what they did. Instead, Saul decided to disobey God and substitute his wisdom his personal wisdom instead of following God's command. Now I want you to see this and take just a minute to do this, but I want you to see this beginning in verse 13. There's several verses here, but I'll break them down for you. Here's the first one. Verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, so the battle's over, they go down to the Amalekites. They win this incredible battle, but they don't do what God said. They kept the best of the animals and they brought the king back with them. Now that wasn't what God said. God said utterly destroy all of it. But Saul decided not to do what God said. So when Samuel shows up in verse 13, he says, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Anybody know what that is? That's called lying. Prophet shows up. Here's Saul walking out there in complete hypocrisy going, I did everything the Lord told me to do. He's lying. Because he knows in his heart that he did not do. And it's the first thing that you and I do when we start substituting our wisdom for God, we start lying about it. We start justifying our decisions. Well, I mean, I, I slept with that girl, but you know, God wants me to be happy. I cheated on my taxes, but God expects me to take care of my family. You see, we justify our actions as if somehow another God's like, oh, you know what, I didn't notice that. I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. No. Saul lies about it and says, I did everything God said. And then here's what happens. Samuel says, well, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle? You know, you know what used to bug me about my boys when they lied? Is the evidence that they're lying is right there. Jason was told, you cannot climb up on the countertop and get in that cookie jar. He walks in, he's got chocolate all over his face. And I said, did you climb up there and get in that cookie jar? No, sir, I did not. He's lying. Got cookies in his hand. That's what Saul did. He said, I did everything God said in Samuel's side. I don't understand. I hear sheep and goats and all the stuff that God told you to destroy. Now notice what he does right here. It's going to be uncomfortable for you to hear this because this is what you do. It's what I do. 
Saul says, it's true. The army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle. But they were going to sacrifice them to the Lord our God. You know what that is? That's called excuses. That's called, I didn't do what God told me to do, but there's a reason why I didn't do it. I'm going to take this stuff that God told me not to keep and I'm going to offer it up as a sacrifice to the Lord. God's going to be pleased with that. I'm sure he is. We did disobey is what he said, but we're not at fault because, you know, he doesn't even take responsibility for the decision himself. He said the people did it. I tried to obey the Lord, but, but the people did it. I'm trying to serve the Lord, but my husband. I'm trying to serve the Lord, but my daughter. No, no. You get to make the choice, but you have to wear the consequence. We have destroyed everything else. Saul said to, Samuel said to Saul, stop it. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul said? Samuel told, although, you, listen, this is powerful. He said, although you may think little of yourself. One translator said, when you were little in your own eyes, when you didn't think you were such big stuff, God picked you and chose you and made you to be the king. He sent you on a mission and told you, go and destroy the sinners. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not do what God said for you to do and commit this evil in the Lord's sight? Now watch this. But I did obey the Lord, Saul says. He's still lying. I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else. But my troops, they kept the best. And then Saul shares a very notable scripture. He said, which do you think is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. He says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Listen to me. I love you. But I am responsible to tell you this. God cares more about obedience to what he has told you and I to do in his word than anything else that we do. You're not going to buy God off with money. You're not going to buy God off with good works and good deeds. You don't, you don't get that. You don't get to say to God, well, you know, I didn't do what you told me, but I did this can't do that. God demands obedience. And this is why I said that there's nothing, listen to me, there's nothing that transforms your relationship with God more than your obedience. When God knows that he can count on you, when God knows that you will do what he asks you to do, when God knows that you will not give in to the cry of this world and the pressures that you feel, but you will always be faithful to him, God takes notice of that. And the excuses mean nothing to God. A friend of mine was doing his 
doctoral program at a theological seminary in Kentucky. He was pastoring a church at the same time that he was going through. And if you've ever done graduate work, you know how hard that is. All the reading, all the paper writing, all the stuff you have to do, all the research for your PhD. And that week he had had a couple of funerals and he had had a, a, a church problem and some things that had come up. And so he went to his professor. And he says to the professor, listen, I have a request. I know our work is supposed to be in today, but I have not had time to do it. And I've come here to ask you. And he started telling him, said, I've had these deaths and I've had this church issue and it's been one of those weeks and, and I've gotten behind. And so I'm asking you for grace that you would give me an extension on my work. He said, the professor never even looked up from what he was doing. He said, of course, pastor. I'll be glad to grant you the extension. Your excuses are excellent and noteworthy. But I do feel obligated to remind you before you leave this room that at the end of this term, you're going to get a grade on your work. It will not be a grade on the quality of your excuses. Your grade will only be on the quality of your work. Jesus said there will be people that will come at the end and they will stand before him and they will say to him, Lord, we did all these great things in your name. And Jesus said, I'll look at him and go, I don't know you. It's not your works. It's not the good deeds. It's not the offerings that you give. It's not your benevolence that gets God's attention. It's obedience. Can God count on you to do what he has asked you to do? I love that line when Samuel says to Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, when you didn't think you were such a big shot, you had no problem obeying the Lord. But now that you're accomplished and now that you've got things and now that you're in a different place, you have forgotten who God is. And you have forgotten that God will not put up with our willful disobedience. And I finish by telling you that one of the most dangerous things that can happen to you as a believer is for you to become so confident in who you are as a believer that you think God will just wink at your disobedience. Because it doesn't matter how long you've been a member of a church. And it doesn't matter about who your grandmother was. and That won't make any difference to God. Did you do what I asked you to do with your life? Did you live a life of obedience and surrender to me? And you'll have to answer that question because you made the choice. You made the decision to do whatever it was that you did thinking that God would let you off. But he won't. He won't. Between the years of 605 and 562 B.C., the king of Babylon was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Reading about him this week, and I preached about him a lot, Nebuchadnezzar had this really weird thing with God. He would announce after seeing the fourth man in the fire that there is no God like Jehovah. 
And all men everywhere in the kingdom should bow down and worship God. But then by chapter 4, he forgot all about that. And the Bible said that 12 months later after that, he was taking a walk on the roof of his palace. And he looked out across the city. And he said, look at this great city of Babylon by my own power. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my magnificent splendor. How arrogant. And when the words came out of his mouth, he heard the voice of the Lord that said, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You no longer are the ruler of this kingdom. Now I know this morning that some of these words are hard to hear. They're not easy to preach either. But God is calling this church, this community, this people to a deeper level of devotion and obedience to Him. That's why He wanted you to hear this today. There are some of you in a few moments that need to walk up to this altar and tell God you're sorry. That somehow or another you convinced yourself that you didn't have to obey God in that decision. Instead of seeking the Lord's counsel, you went off and did what you wanted to do. And now you're in a troubled situation. You keep asking God to help you and God's like, you chose it. You wanted that. You wanted that consequence. You wanted that outcome. You got what you asked for. You need to come down and tell God you're sorry. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you don't actually love God. It just means that you've allowed something to get in the way of that relationship with God that allows you to say, I'm all in. I've honestly felt like in recent days that the Lord has been challenging me to examine my own heart and make sure that there is not something that is preventing me from trusting him completely, that his way is the best. That's why I sit at my desk, as I told you before I came down today. Do I really want what God wants? Or does it just sound good to say it? Does it make me feel good to be able to say to all of you, I want what God wants, but do I really want it? And what is it going to cost me to want what God wants? And that may be the dividing line for some of you. As strange as it may be, some of you are going to walk out of this room today, believe it or not, and say, I love the Lord, but I don't want to go that far. I'm not going to make that step. And I, that makes me fearful for you. Not because God's after you. It's because you can't ever walk where God truly wants you to walk with your life until you're willing to be obedient to what God has said. What does that look like? For some of you, you might need to make a phone call this afternoon. You might need to ask somebody to forgive you. You didn't want to. In fact, you said you never would. But as you have sat here and listened to me this morning, it just keeps coming back. I, need, I probably need to do that. Some of you may have to go back and make something right. 
A woman I knew used to work for Cannon Mills. And she testified one night. She said, I've been stealing washcloths and towels from this factory as long as I've worked here. Sticking them in my purse, sticking them in my bag. And I want to make it right. She walked into Mr. Mills' office and she said, I've given my heart to the Lord. And I want to make it right. That's why, that's why Mr. Cannon and Cannon Mills spent so much money supporting the Church of God Orphanage because he said that woman was so committed to making things right. God really had done something in her heart. There may be some of you that have to make really hard choices. You may have to walk away from a relationship that you really do care about, but you know it's leading you away from God, not toward God. You may have to make that choice. The question is, do you actually want what God wants? We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.